Hi, I'm Scott Corelli. And I'm Nick Jimenez in the news. And we're from Back to the Future Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the entire Back to the Future trilogy one minute at a time. Like the minute when Principal Strickland becomes a vigilante hero of the wasteland after Biff takes over Hill Valley in the alternate 1985 timeline. I I don't... Wait, I don't I don't remember. Or that. the minute where we learn that Dr. Emmett Brown is secretly the saxophone king of Hill Valley. Hold on. When when did that or when did that happen? When we slowly start to realize that George McFly may have murdered both of his parents. Okay. Now I don't I don't remember that being in the movies. Well, Scott, that's because none of those things are actually in the movies, but it's all stuff that we talk about on Back to the Future Minute. Back to the Future Minute, available at DuelingGenre.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Dueling Genre. Welcome to Lord of the Rings Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie The Fellowship of the Ring one minute at a time. I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. I'm Norman Mitchell. And joining us again today is Zach Luna from uh, Geek by Night. Hello, hello. hello. Hi, yeah. thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, so today we'll be talking about Minute 92, which starts with uh, more emo Gandalf staring off into the distance and ends... Once again, with Sauron getting his fingers cut off. Is this is that the third time we see this in this movie? Total? <laughs> Maybe? I think it is, or at least yeah. something very similar to this. Like, third it's definitely time. the second. This is the second time a minute ends with this frame. You know, it's an important moment, guys. Okay? We just got to <laughs> make sure that people understand that the ring got cut off his hand. That he reached out his hand, and, and, and the, it was cut off. You just want to make <laughs> yeah. sure... At this point, an hour and a half into the film, that we're right. just solid on that point of right. point of when uh, <laughs> when they say that Sauron lost the ring, they don't mean like it slipped off his finger and right. fell down a drain. Right? Like, right. No, no, no. <laughs> they, we want to make you understand what happened here. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And we're looking at this, and we're going to see a painting of this same thing too. Yeah, yeah forcible <laughs> separation. Yeah, just like. We want to be crystal crystal clear here. <laughs> I just find it so like interesting and kind of amazing that when we you track this in the extended edition, hmm. that two individual minutes end at the same frame, basically. Yeah, I That's think incredible. it's incredible. Like, yeah, I think it's like a second or two off, but it's basically the same scene. Like we're the exact we're, see, we're looking moment. up at the fingers tumbling through the air with the ring at the end of two different minutes. Yeah. I mean, it's like this thing is called Lord of the Rings or something. Yeah, and we, we got to see the Lord <laughs> lose his ring. <laughs> again and again and again and again and again. Is Lord of the what now? Like, what's yeah. the <laughs> Right, what, we, what we talked about this. object here? I'm not sure. Wait, so what is the, where is all the power stored? I just want to make right, sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, we, we talked about this last week, and Peter Jackson and Philip and Fran on the director and writer commentary are just like, so every couple of minutes in Rivendell, we wanted to show you the ring so you don't forget it's there. <laughs> they literally want to show you the ring every couple of minutes through Rivendell. That's amazing. I, mean, I think there's a fine line between like keeping the narrative moving and like not respecting your audience. Like, sure, yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think we're still kind of, on the right. They're walking a tightrope. Yeah. Yeah. They're walking a tightrope. <laughs> 
They got their they got their little stick out balancing. Yeah. Walking yeah. along. Standing I up love... on the edge of a knife, as it were. <laughs> yes. Perhaps I... the perhaps a broken sword. Yeah. I love how salty Elrond is about men. Yes. Men oh. men are weak. It's like men are weak. Same. Hard same. <laughs> Because I feel that I feel that Elrond, you know me, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. But Elrond is, you know, he's not talking about all men when he says that. He's talking about her. He's he's just like he's just bitter that his daughter loves a man, he's right? Just like men are weak. Well, oh, I like because it's it, it's layers. Because, <laughs> Am I right? Yeah, yeah. Because he was he was there to be disappointed, and now it's, he's worried that like his, you know, great 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 grandson is going to be disappointing. Yeah, me too. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's a whole nother level of like the you know uh, uh, your girlfriend's dad being pissed at you. You know, he's like I re- <laughs> your girlfriend's dad being like, I remember being a young man. I know that young men are assholes. Right? It's like, no, he literally remembers like who you came from. <laughs> he's seen. I have <laughs> right. Uh, to tomorrow, I'm going to talk ahead. about yeah. problems I have. Tomorrow, sure. I'm going to talk about problems I have with this whole uh, Elrond's. Isildur <laughs> confrontation. I have problems with that, the way that it's put together. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that tomorrow. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because Elrond should have done more. But we're gonna Fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. For but now, right at now... Least just just bask in the wonderful pettiness of that line delivery that he is. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's like the, the blood of Numenor is all but spent. <laughs> grumble, 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 grumble. Uh, and so... uh it looks like a museum in I know Elrond's what is this home. place? Oh my it's god. It's great. And it's very intentional. They wanted Rivendell, they wanted Elrond's study to look like a museum with all these little artifacts sprinkled around, yeah. the candles, yeah. the books everywhere. It's, and it's, it's very effective because it really does. It looks like you're walking through like uh, like a really old public library or like right, a museum. Right, right. Yeah, like the Victorian Albert or something. But then, then, of course, like in the middle of that like studied, like antiquated space, there's also a tree, you know, like a literal like a raised area where there's a tree that with like leaves falling down that he's yeah. he's very clearly not just like a man of stone or something like that he's a woodland elf and you know it's it's yeah. it's both of those things you know he's got his very his luscious locks all in place and he's also like <laughs> the sternest meanest dude in the world <laughs> yeah, he certainly can be and a lot of his ire is aimed at aragorn yeah. uh, who who as i've mentioned and is i think who's i mentioned before is also his nephew yeah very technically very 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 like, very, very it, distantly it like, distantly it's like a, one type it's of... like 80 it's like 80 generations or something like oh that it's God. a long time yeah yeah but, but nephew it's enough yeah i i feel like if us us sort of hand waving like yeah nephew it was a while back might be different if like you've been alive for th- Three thousand years plus, yeah. you know that like the... he's literally watched generation to generation <laughs> of, of into Aragorn. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's not like he forgot where he came from along the way. It's like, oh yes, our family so many many moons ago was was lined up. It's like no, because you know all the other elves refer to Elrond as Elrond half elven, even though it's like his great grandmother that's a, or great grandfather right, that's right, an elf, right? Right. Not that human baron. Yeah. Um, but they all call him Elrond Half-Elven, Half-Elven, which I think is just them, like, slapping him in the face. Well, elves are really <laughs> heavy, apparently. Just like, oh, look, it's Elrond Half-Elven. <laughs> that's probably why he, like, and that's the other half of the venom behind the men are weak line. It's like, I'm not, I've got no connection there. I'm not, you'd be calling me one of these men. 
<laughs> I'm not like a quarter or an eighth human or something. Like 16. <laughs> he's just like kicking the tree. <laughs> Like, he's over there, like, he has to sweep his robes out of the way and then use his, like, perfect, delicate, like, shoe to kick a tree. Tr- <laughs> it's like, uh, it's like Faulty Towers. He, like, picks up a sapling and goes to beat something Aww, with it. Oh, my God. <laughs> that mean, I hope I'm not the only person in the world that's seen that. I'm sure lots of other people have seen that, but I don't know. That's what I always think about, I mean, like, angry people I mean, in nature is, like... They just rip a tree out of the ground and put like a tree out of the ground. something with it. Yeah. <laughs> like Faulty Towers, he's beating up his car because it won't start. Oh. Right, yeah, with a tree. Yeah. With a little little sapling. As you do. Yeah. And that's it's John Cleese. It's wonderful. Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, <laughs> if somebody's going to pull up a sapling and hit a car with it, yeah, John Cleese, that makes sense. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, that logic tracks. that's weird and offbeat enough, you know, for someone for Monty Python to do. Yeah, I'd buy it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And that wasn't, they weren't like so, filming him at the time. This was just a thing that happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Totally buy it. 100% suspension of disbelief. So, here. there is a lot of hair in this minute. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot that. of fancy hair in this minute. Right? Like, oh my gosh. All the, all of Elrond's wonderful hair and Gandalf's ratty hair. And then uh, Boromir is on screen for the oh, first time. Man. Oh, yeah. Wonderful was... Sean Bean galloping in. He looks so Looking good. so... <laughs> He he's looks so like, yeah, he's, I think he, they're going for like him looking amazed, but he looked, he, yeah. to me, he just looks more worried. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've always felt like he looks worried. Like, like oh, like, is this the right place? Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> am I? Because if, 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 if Rivendell is hidden. That's true. Then right. he's just like, did I make it? Am I here? Am I okay? <laughs> Are these elves going to kill me? <laughs> Like, Did I wander into Mirkwood? Like, yeah. where am I? He's like, Denethor gave me a, a very strict talking to before this. I gotta make sure I'm actually in the right place. Yeah, he does. Like... <laughs> Dad will be very disappointed in me if I mess this up. <laughs> this and is then right, guys, I made it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we have him. Is this like the first appearance of like our, our hunter type people, all three of them? So we have yes. Boromir rides into the first and then we have... This is the last three members of the fellowship all appear within oh. like five seconds of each other. The, the velvety um, Orlando Bloom garment gown. My thing. Uh, favorite. His, his long flowing blonde hair. He talks about in the cast commentary about how he wanted to come down off that horse so gracefully, but he's not sure he really he really succeeded. <laughs> he, I mean, like, he got there. Yeah, he got, he got there. there. <laughs> he got there. Uh, it's not like his foot got caught in the stirrup or anything. Also, I've never, yeah. I've never noticed until like doing this minute by minute and looking really closely how sheer his cloak is. Yeah, you can see right through it. It's very, very yeah. thin and gossamer. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not like his, his actual outfit, like the, the jerkin or whatever. It's like he's got this little shawl thing, you know. And it's, yeah. it's split yeah. in the middle, almost like wings, because it shows his quiver. I guess it's effective. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it'll yeah. keep you warm and then there's access to your arrows. Yeah, you can I mean, be a little it, toasty. Yeah, I think that it helps. Uh, it helps put him in contrast with how the Rivendell elves are dressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because he's from somewhere else. He's a he's a different kind of elf. Right, right, right. He's from what Mirkwood is. Yes, yes. yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's the prince of Mirkwood. Oh, ooh, the prince himself is uh, um, <laughs> Came came to our, our our nice little council here. I mean, we haven't gotten yes. to a council yet, but there's going to be a council. Because Thranduil uh, isn't going to go yeah, anywhere I mean, but on his own. He's going to be like, you, son, you do this. <laughs> yeah, no. Spawn. That's not how <laughs> they roll. Uh, 
you're my son. You're good enough. <laughs> Check it out. Go. <laughs> and then, then we have two dwarves that show up, right? You know, we uh, got Gimli. Gimli. And is that supposed to be his dad? Yes, okay. I believe it is. Oh, really? Yeah. So Gloin, right? Gimli, son of yeah. Gloin. Yeah. Gimli, son of Gloin. Yeah. Now, is there a thing with Gino Acevedo, the the um uh, one of the lead makeup artists on here? Is did he only appear as a dwarf in the original opening minutes, or is is he one of the other ones in this council here? Do you know what I'm, I'm not talking sure. about? Yeah. Yeah. I just yeah, remember but I'm not, I'm not sure. Thing. They don't yeah. mention that in the commentary here, I don't think. Right, right. So I'm not right. sure. Because he's one of the, the Dwarven kings at the very, very beginning. At the very yeah. beginning, yeah, with Galadriel's commentary. I do, I do wonder, I think about this a lot, when you have this iconic scene and then there's like one or two people in the background who don't speak. Uh, like, wh- what was their day like? How did they How did they go about that? You know, who is the person that's just old glowing hanging out behind Gimli. I don't think he <laughs> you got you mentioned when we when we were watching this minute off mic too that uh Gimli doesn't look quite as uh as floofy in the hair. Wild no, it's wild. Not bushy. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if I wonder if part of that is not just like the idea of him having his hair back because he's going to a, a proper meeting. Right. But I wonder if it's them uh not applying the full prosthetic to John Reese Davies to Maybe. film such a short scene. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, he was allergic to the latex. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, the glue, I, mean, I think the glue is part of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's like he was allergic to what they were using to put the stuff on his face. Oh god. So he was uh, just miserable all the time. Right. Oh yeah, with eye infections, the whole shebang. Yeah, I'm mean, having I to walk that's... around on his knees while his face is burning. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can't imagine it. all this. These eighteen I... months for uh, for John Rhys-Davies must know. have been terrible. I'm amazed at how just like jolly and jovial he comes across. Certainly not in this moment or at the council, but like in the film overall, considering how miserable he must have been minute to minute right. <laughs> throughout the day. <laughs> like, you know, and I think they do a good job of like giving a bit of characterization to each of these three guys on their yeah. first. Because right, Boromir yeah. looks kind of really, really out of his element. Yeah. Legolas looks kind of excited but and but not overwhelmed to be there right. mm-hmm. and right. gimli looks arrogant as all hell oh yeah right. yeah he's throwing he's very, his weight around uh, yeah. very grumpy yeah super grumpy yeah and i, I, I think that that's the... important too like that's a really yeah, cool little thing that they did moment they i also love that we have the these sort of like grand dismount moments these like errol flynn-esque like right yeah you know <laughs> coming in on a horse looking around sort of thing and then gimli just walks up he's like you know <laughs> and he puts his axe down <laughs> the person he must have taken he would have had to take so many more steps to get there and you know maybe it would have made sense for him to to ride something but he was like no just gonna walk just gonna walk right in like the elves and, offer him a pony and he's just like that's insulting yeah. <laughs> walk like, Nobody, <laughs> nobody. I don't tosses, think like horses. Nor carries. I don't. Yeah, it doesn't seem like they they'd be fast friends. But yeah, he just he just has this like arrogant, um, not not quite angry, but just like distrustful look, and then he just slams a weapon onto the ground. It's beautiful, it's, right? Like <laughs> he's the only one holding his weapon of the three. Yeah, yeah. Gimli yeah. is always ready for a fight and expects one. <laughs> well, they're in I love like. That. Elf country, yeah. Like, you know, we can't stop here. This right. is elf country. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we were somewhere around Rivendell on the edge of the when the drugs began to take hold. Right, uh, right. Fear and loathing in Imladris. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, that's much better. That's much better. Uh, I would watch that movie. I would. 
watch. Just, just John, weird... John Octavius as like drugged out Gimli. Yeah, in a weird Gonzo like road trip movie. Uh, just <laughs> it's Gimli and Legolas. Like, yeah. oh god, absolutely. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Lizard men, and they just turn over, and it's just Urkai. Right. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's perfect. I can see the whole movie redone that way, and I haven't I haven't seen that movie in years, and I can see the whole thing right now. Yeah, yeah. It's just running through my brain, swinging around an axe, cutting grapefruits, yelling. Oh, it's gonna be great. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the next project. Once we're done with this, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll get it kickstarted together, and we'll make <laughs> fear and right. Middle Earth edition. Oh my god. Oh, that'd be great. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> All serious, no. Great, great, great uh, entrance by by all of our principal characters. They're they're finally in the mix, almost. Yes, almost. Um, We've almost heard their names. We have we have a little bit longer to go. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit longer to go. We have a couple more flashbacks to get through. Because <laughs> yeah, in some ways, this is like uh, like Boromir week, but we don't hear his name yet. Yeah, it's very much Boromir week. I think he's the man. Yeah, oh, that's uh, right. That's right. We don't really hear a formal introduction until the council itself the council, for a lot yeah. of these people yeah yeah that's wild i don't know it is it really is like when you we 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 harp on we've harped on this a lot throughout the the months we've been doing this so far hmm. and it really is amazing that we don't even know all of the main characters names halfway through the movie right yeah. but to also be fair we still have an entire regular movie left so Yes, <laughs> there's a, more than a feature-length movie remaining right. on the on the other side of this. So of this first feature-length movie that we've gotten through, I we've love got it. we've I got quite it. a journey ahead of us. Yes, oh. I know you guys have have probably talked at length about your your first interaction with uh, this film when it immediately came out. But for me, I remember I, I had a a friend who that worked at a movie question. theater in town. Yeah, he he worked at a movie theater in town, and uh, when this came out. I guess winter of 2001 um I I was I had like a free period in school that I used to finish literally all of my homework and the the week <laughs> that this was that this was out like when we came back to school because it must have been Christmas break it came out we came back to school and I had this deal with the, my friend who worked at the movie theater that he could just get me in for free if I if I told him early enough so I just said every day I'm going to come and watch this movie and he laughed at me and I was like no I'm serious every day so I would I would use my free period at the end of the school day to finish all my schoolwork or as much as I possibly could. And then I would run to the local movie theater right after school around like, I don't know, three o'clock, something like that. And I would watch The Fellowship of the Ring, get out, you know, around seven or something, go home and eat eat dinner and do like one or two things and then do the exact same thing the next day. And I think I kept up, like I kept my, my ticket stubs and I had a, a run there where I saw Fellowship of the Ring eight days in a row at the same time in the same place because I just I didn't care about anything else as much as I cared about being in Middle Earth and just sitting there just letting it wash over you it was like it was a religious experience I I loved it (laughs) so much and so like even if I that's awesome yeah if I haven't even seen this movie I probably haven't seen this movie in like I don't know 10 months at this point and uh just just watching through the minutes uh, for for this week, I, I I have that moment where I feel like that kid again, just excited to see things happening. And uh, this was that that turning point where the world became that much bigger. Like, oh, there's th- this moment in the film is 
when you see a dwarf for the first time in situ, you know, not just in the in the prologue, when you see right. the, the elves and the men coming together, that this is not just a story of hobbits and the 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 consequences they don't understand anymore. This is there's a whole world beyond the edges of the frame, and I I loved that idea so much, and I still do. That's yeah, that's why I'm here today. <laughs> yeah, th- this is everyone's peril, and they're going to decide what to do with it. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's oh, it's an, it's it's cool stuff. gives you gives you goose goosebumps. Oh. Had you had you been exposed to Middle Earth before the movies, or were the movies your first? Before the uh, movies, yeah. yeah. I um my my brother was a big Tolkien nerd growing up, and I um my brother is quite a bit older than I am. He's from my dad's first marriage, so he's twenty years older than I was. So okay. um, he was this like, uh, in terms of like my tastes in fantasy or comic books, movies, and all those sort of things, they're kind of curated by my older brother in that he didn't want to watch any old, uh, like, lame kids thing. He only really wanted to watch, like, cool stuff with me. So my <laughs> early, yeah, where he was like, and my parents were like, yeah, it's Zach's fine, you know, like, it, as long as Chuck says it's okay, he'll watch whatever. So it would be situations like me at five years old watching Jaws for the first time. You oh, know, my or, God. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's like my experience with Alien or the Thing. I saw those right. at like way too young. You saw them too young, but then it affects you like on a deep primal yeah. level. You're like that. That was horrifying, but it was yeah. fascinating, cool, and amazing. And so I remember the old. I guess they're um, like rotoscoped cartoon versions of the Lord of the yeah. Rings. Oh yes, that yeah, that he showed me because my my brother was he's a painter and a and an, and an artist. Now he's an art teacher, but at that time he was. A comic book artist and he was a painter and so he he loved showing me old animation and things like that like the old fleischer superman cartoons and this weird lord of the rings and hobbit um cartoons there's like there's a version of the hobbit and then there's a version of the lord of the rings that are two separate animation companies but they're they're weird and off-putting and cool and strange and i didn't i don't think i picked up on any of the actual you know what i'm talking about rankin bass rankin bass yes yes and then the the other more cartoonish one is Ralph Bakshi, I want to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the, the rotoscope. I could have those backwards, but I think that's. I think you're right. Yeah. The, either way, the rotoscope one, I remember sticking in my mind as some sort of weird fever dream where I couldn't track the, um, the narrative so much because I must have been like four, something like that when it, when it yeah. happened to me. But the, the imagery was so striking and the idea of the world sat with me for a long time. And then when I got a little bit older, um, he gave me The Hobbit as a book. And so I read, I read the Hobbit a lot, um, as a child, but I still, I wasn't, I don't think I was old enough to read the Lord of the Rings proper when these films came out, which mm-hmm. is dating me immediately. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I, I knew of all the things in this like weird place in the back of my brain. And I'd read like appendices or like companion pieces to the Lord of the Rings. So it was like, Oh, remember the Hobbit? I remember that very vividly. Oh, do you do you remember that there's the Lord of the Rings, the bigger, more mythic version? And I was like, I didn't know what it was, but I knew it was important. And I remember sitting in a movie theater with my family. Uh, my brother had taken me to see something the year prior. I guess this is late 2001. And the trailer, the like the first teaser trailer for the Lord of the Rings came up. And yeah. b- before they said Lord of the Rings, before they said anything, it's just the shot of um, their they're in the mountains somewhere and they're walking through this like little pass, like this little space between two rocks and each member of the fellowship walks through one after another. And you see all of them sort of parade past. And in, I got like a, a, a shiver up my spine. I was like, I know this. I, 
I recognize this in me. This is, and, and then I was like, oh, and, and there's hobbits there too. And it, like, it just became more and more exciting. And it was maybe 30 seconds of footage, but I remember like grabbing my brother Chuck by the shoulder and saying like, we have to see that. I didn't, <laughs> that's all, that's all it was. And so like, I'll, this wasn't my first exposure to Middle Earth, but it was the most um, informative one. It was, it was like the, yeah. the biggest one, I think, uh, which is, which is fair to say. And, and, and you guys, cause I know you're such experts on the lore. I, I feel like um, you must've come to the books first or what was your uh, approach to it? Yeah, I I unfortunately missed these in theaters because my dad was a book purist. So he's like, you need to read these books. Yeah, so you need to read these books first. So I read the books first and then Mm. I got to enjoy the movies. So we're both coming through like from a... A book perspective right. and my my experience with uh with middle middle earth in general and like how i got exposed to it is not too dissimilar from yours because right. my oldest my oldest brother who's almost 10 years older than me bought me a copy of the hobbit when i was like 10 and that's right. how i started right. this journey yeah 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 for me that i mean that would have been like uh, a year or two before the films came out really because i think i was 11 or something in 2001 uh hmm. so it was like I had just reached the age where this sort of stuff was fascinating and appropriate. And I just gotten really into reading the Hobbit and I was just remembering the old cartoons. And then this dropped in my lap and just kind of blew my brain apart. It was right. It's I I think still like one of the most formative uh, film experiences I can think of. It's like this and like watching the princess bride or like this and like the first Spider-Man movie or something like, <laughs> like those are, those are, I love the same Raimi Spider-Man movies. <laughs> oh my God. They're so good. They're so good. I was People just watching on them, but I really love them. They're, oh, they're so good. I was just watching a clip earlier today um, of the, uh, <laughs> in the, in the cafeteria where like Mary Jane slips on like something. And then Peter like whips around, catches her and then catches all of her food on his tray and that they I can see it as you're saying it you know, exactly like, that, like that, that blew my mind and I was I was just reading about it again because I was I was looking at old articles and I was thinking that they had just this was the same era of like oh we can probably do photorealistic CGI stuff now but we shouldn't use it for everything and so for that shot they just literally just dropped all of the food out of the air and had Toby try to catch it over and over and over that's again so until funny. he actually that's like a, on like the 30th take <laughs> or something well that's like sigourney weaver insisting right. that yeah, she actually yeah. do the over the back shot, shot alien the resurrection and she yeah. just did it until it happened right and, and it didn't can... take her that long i guess but she just did it until it happened like cut away from it a little quick because like ron perlman is in the background freaking out about <laughs> Yeah, because wouldn't you be like? Oh, yeah, of course, of course. It's like magic happening in front of you. It's amazing. Yeah, I also love so Rob Coleman. Like, that moment, yeah, that moment was formative for me. Seeing him catch the stuff. Uh, now, really, it was the upside down kiss. And this moment, and that's formative for everyone. Formative for everyone. Yeah, let's be real. Uh, and and this this movie, this was like, you can create a whole nother world in in that frame, you know, on that screen that feels lived in and, and, and real and expansive. And, and it feels of a piece with, with my time and my era, even though it's like a timeless story that like, I always love like star Wars, obviously, which is another version of like a lived in fantasy, you know, space opera type thing. Uh, But, but that felt like my, my father's film or something. And this movie 
this was like, you know, it, it was almost like collectively the the world was like, hey, you know, like when you got really excited about like wizards and magic and like swords and like, can we all just agree that that's awesome? Like, can we just culturally <laughs> all of us together be like, hey, that's actually absolutely awesome that's the coolest well, thing in the world yeah yeah because uh this this winter 2001 when harry potter and uh lord of the rings came out back to back right uh-huh. is the beginning of nerd culture becoming pop culture yeah yeah i think that's when we like won i think that's <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> that's victory number uno uh numero uno it, it, yeah it I think part of it too, not that uh, you couldn't be earnest about it, but I don't know. I was reading this this um, excerpt of an article that Tolkien was talking about ages ago when he was discussing um, fairy stories in general and how you must you must treat the magic in a fairy story as absolutely real and and tangible that you can't pull out from it or wink at it or or make it be um, seem false. And he talked a lot about um, theater in that in that essay or drama in terms that like fantasy does not work well in in Tolkien's opinion on a stage show because the artifice is too um immediately apparent that you can't you can't feel as though it's truly 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 real in that moment and that and that's why it's it's better in, in at least in his mind in uh fiction that you read or that you imagine is in your mind because the magic can be taken absolutely seriously whereas it can't be presented realistically on on a stage and for the most part i think i would agree yeah. with that yeah i mean it's a very hard hard line stance of course but at this period in time early 2000s it was one of the first times that we had access to things like you know like massive the the engine that they used to create the cgi armies of that full scale or that they could you know uh, integrate uh, the, the the miniatures and the and the and the bigatures in such a seamless way that you mm-hmm. could potentially for the first time in, a, in an earnest photorealistic way uh, show magical things as as true and not that you wouldn't believe it obviously you know you watch King Kong in the 1930s and you you believe it you feel it the whole way but there's something some shift in the visual style here that I think I, I that a lot of people couldn't get on if not that not everybody has a great imagination but if you can't see it it's hard to comprehend and like how am I going to take the the elves and the swords and the whatnot seriously if I don't see it but if you can see it here i think it's easier to get to to get on board with that does that make sense right yeah Yeah. and i think we get a milestone movie that really touches on that like every 10 15 years or so as technology catches up right right and the the one before this movie that i think of really that is uh jurassic park yeah yeah um exactly because a lot of those effects also still really hold up yeah. I don't know if, when the last time anyone, either of you saw Jurassic Park. Oh, I, yeah. I saw it like two months ago and it holds up. Uh, I saw it on a, on oh, a yeah. screen. I went out of my yeah. way to go see it for the, the anniversary a yeah, little while yeah, ago. Yeah, the anniversary screening they did. And it's, because I was five when it came out in theaters yeah. originally, so I didn't get that, a chance to go see it. Oh my gosh, yeah. But that sense of wonder is so palpable in that. And, and par- part of it's not just the effect itself, but the way it's presented and the way it's sold and the way it's it's not like – the the thing that I always cue uh, in on Jurassic Park two moments obviously the the big one which is uh, seeing the reactions of Alan and everybody in the jeep standing up taking off their glasses to look at the dinosaur before it we is, see the dinosaur it's one of the most magical moments ever put on yeah film. yeah it and really like we, is 
if we just saw the dinosaur, that would be one thing. But it's seeing them see it. And just then some incredible get to see it. disbelief and wonder yeah, right. at what they're looking at. Yeah. Is magical. And and the other the other thing I think about a lot with Jurassic Park that I only noticed last year when I was rewatching it again is the big iconic when the dress when the uh, the T Rex breaks out of his paddock and steps out, you know, and you see the the full T Rex in his full glory. Like that whole sequence is amazing. But one thing that I never noticed before until this this year is the big shot where it's the full CGI. Uh, Tyrannosaurus, when he steps over the edge after the um, the fence is down, and you see him step over the edge in the rain and the light and the thunderstorm, and you see him in full everything for the first time. As he right. steps over that um, that lip, there, it's a it's a pretty static shot. Like it's just uh, uh, you would think it was on a tripod or something. You know, it's a very still frame. But as he steps up he kind of adjusts and moves a little too high and the cameraman pulls upward to, to, to make sure he stays in the frame as if it was a real animal that was behaving in an unexpected way. And they had to adjust to him. And then when his foot lands, you can see the frame shake a little bit Uh, and it's the tiniest thing, but it's that way of presenting the creature sold it for me more than like the, the texture mapping that they used or the lighting that they used on it or anything like for a moment there, I, I believed that the cameraman was surprised and scared. Right. right. And it, it, the little shake and the way that it moves gives that CGI character real weight, real weight. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and this, this movie is like that for like when we have the, the ring wraiths in the Canyon and, um, and Arwen, Calls upon calls upon the water to 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 wash them away. I'm not as well versed in the lore, so I don't know the the the, the term for that. But it's it's treated in this um, this way that is almost sacred. This moment, and it's not just seeing the big CGI wave crash into these things. So that's great. It's the moment before that when you see the water move away from her. Like like you can mm-hmm. see the physical practical water almost draw back like a tsunami about to come. It's that same. Yeah moment that same twang of the um of the cup of water on the dashboard where i'm like right. something something big is happening and it's tangibly happening here and i don't know that's like you said every every decade or so you get one of those moments that's like that watershed and for me for me this is it and i'm ex- i'm excited to to see more of it the, the rest of this week <laughs> <laughs> right so uh What's today? Tuesday. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're from the du- the website duelinggenre.com. You can check out our other podcasts, such as the Doctor's Companion, which is a Doctor Who podcast, and Geek by Night, which is our fictional audio drama that uh, Zach is a part of. Yeah. Um, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming and speaking with oh, us. Absolutely. Our- it's so much fun. <laughs> I love. I love this. Thank you guys. Yeah, and uh, we hope you guys have a good Tuesday, and we'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Bye. Bye. Bye.